Part three, chapter nine of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Part three, chapter nine. The clamor, the Christians to the lions, arose continuously in all parts of the city. From the first, not only did nobody doubt that the Christians were the incendiaries, but nobody wished to doubt, since their punishment would yield amusement for every one. Nevertheless, it was fancied that the catastrophe would not have been so severe were it not for the anger of the gods. For this reason, purifying sacrifices were ordered in the sanctuaries. After consultation of the Sibylline books, the Senate ordered solemnities and public prayers to Vulcan, Ceres, and Proserpina. Matrons laid offerings before Juno. A great many of them went in procession to the seashore to draw water and besprinkle the statue of the goddess. Married women prepared feasts for the gods and night watches. All Rome purified itself from sin, brought offerings, and reconciled itself with the immortals. Meanwhile, broad new streets were laid out in the midst of the burned place. Here and there foundations were already laid for spacious edifices, palaces, and sanctuaries. But first of all was constructed, with unprecedented speed, an enormous wooden amphitheatre, in which the Christians were to suffer. Soon after the consultation in the house of Tiberius, orders were sent out to the proconsuls to procure wild beasts. Tigellinus emptied the menageries of all Italian cities, not excepting the smallest. At his command gigantic hunts were ordered in Africa, in which all the natives were forced to take part. Elephants and tigers were ordered from Asia, crocodiles and hippopotami from the Nile, lions from the Atlas, wolves and bears from the Pyrenees, savage dogs from Ireland, Molossian dogs from Epirus, bisons and gigantic wild bulls from Germany. The great number of prisoners would make the games surpass in magnitude all hitherto seen. Caesar desired to drown the memory of the conflagration in blood, to intoxicate Rome with it, hence the flow of blood would be more abundant than had ever been known. The people were eager to help the guards and the praetorians in their hunt for Christians. It was not a difficult task, for whole crowds of them encamped among the people, in the midst of the gardens, and openly made known their faith. When they were surrounded, they knelt, and, singing hymns, permitted themselves to be led away without resistance. Their patience only increased the anger of the mob, who, not understanding its source, looked upon it as wrath and a hardened endurance in crime. Madness seized the persecutors. Often the rabble wrested Christian captives from the praetorians and tore them to pieces. Women were dragged to prison by their hair. Children's heads were dashed against the stones. Thousands of howling people ran wildly through the streets day and night. They searched for victims among the ruins, in chimneys, and in the cellars. In front of the prisons, around fires and casks of wine, were celebrated bacchanalian feasts and dances. In the evening the noise of the drunken crowd, like the roar of thunder, reverberated through the whole city. The mob and the praetorians daily brought in new victims. Pity was extinguished. It appeared as though the citizens in their wild frenzy had forgotten everything except one clamor, THE CHRISTIANS TO THE LIONS! the days and nights were sultrier than ever before known in rome the very air seemed to be filled with madness blood and crime 
the marvellous lust for cruelty was met by an equally marvellous desire for martyrdom the confessors of christ went willingly to death yea they even sought death until they were held back by the command of their superiors who charged them to betake themselves out of the city in subterranean places near the appian way and in the suburban vineyards belonging to patrician christians these had so far escaped imprisonment it was known perfectly well on the palatine that among the christians were numbered flavius domitilla pomponia Graecina, cornelius pudens and vinicius caesar however feared that the crowd would not listen to accusations of incendiarism against citizens of this stripe since it was above all necessary to convince the people punishment and vengeance against these were deferred until later those who thought that the patricians safety was owing to actia's influence were mistaken petronius after parting with vinicius had gone directly to actia to ask help for lygia but she could only offer him tears for she lived in suffering and neglect and was only tolerated so long as she hid herself from poppaea and caesar nevertheless she visited lygia in prison and brought her clothing and food and at the same time protected her from injury at the hands of the prison guards who by the way were already bribed petronius could not forget that had it not been for him and his project of taking lygia from the house of aulus the maiden would most likely have not now been in prison he was eager moreover to win the game against tigellinus so he spared neither time nor expense in the course of a few days he interviewed seneca domitius afer crispinilla through whom he wished to reach poppaea terpnos diodorus and the beautiful pythagoras and finally alaturus and paris to whom caesar seldom refused anything with the help of chrysothemis now the mistress of vatinius he tried to gain even his aid in all cases he was unsparing of his promises of favors as well as his money but all their efforts were fruitless seneca uncertain of his own morrow argued that the christians even if they had not burned rome ought to be exterminated for the good of the city he justified the coming slaughter from a logical standpoint terpnos and diodorus accepted money but did nothing in return vatinius reported to caesar that an effort had been made to bribe him Alaturus alone, who at the beginning of the persecution was hostile to the Christians, took pity on them, and dared to remind Caesar of the imprisoned maiden, and to intercede in her behalf. Yet he obtained nothing but the answer, Dost thou think that my soul is less than that of Brutus, who for Rome's welfare did not even spare his own sons? When Alaturus repeated that reply to Petronius, the latter said, now that caesar has compared himself to brutus there is no salvation he was sorry for vinicius and he feared lest he might commit suicide for the present he said to himself he is supported by his efforts to save her by the sight of her and by his own sufferings but when all plans fail and the spark of hope is extinguished by castor he will not survive and will throw himself on his sword Petronius could understand a death of this sort better than he could the love and suffering of Vinicius. Meanwhile Vinicius was doing his best to save Lygia. He visited the Augustales and unbent his pride to crave their assistance. Through Vitellius he offered Tigellinus his Sicilian lands and all he might ask. But Tigellinus, apparently not wishing to offend the Augusta, refused. 
to go to caesar himself kneel down before him embrace his knees and supplicate him would lead to nothing vinitius it is true wished to do this but petronius learning his purpose asked suppose he should refuse thee or answer thee with a jest or with a foul threat what wouldst thou do upon this the features of vinitius contracted with pain and rage and between his set jaws his teeth gritted together yes said petronius i advise thee against this if thou wouldst not close all roads of rescue vinitius checked himself and passing his hand over his forehead wiped off cold perspiration no no he cried i am a christian and thou wilt forget this as thou didst forget it a moment ago End of part three, chapter nine.